If you don't choose a struggle, you'll be assigned one. Life is suffering. That's just how it is. Like death threats and all of this shit, like just out of nowhere, exponential. I move locations twice because I was fucking scared for my life. The evolution is a necessary progression, but people don't see it as a necessary progression. It's not noble to not make money because money is value exchange. And if you're not making money, then frankly, you probably aren't contributing to society. I missed you, bro. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good. Just um, a lot of people were asking a bunch of questions about this, and these were actually really good questions. So let's start with something interesting. So, you know, every time I see you, I remembered how bad my taste can be because you got like, how many, how many YouTube subs you got now? 422. Yeah. So 422K. You know that when you were first starting out, you got like 300, 400 views per video. And I was like this close to telling you, you know what, Dan, like this YouTube thing, maybe it's not your thing, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe you should do something else. So it reminds me of my bad takes every time I see you. But, um. Let's start with something cool. So, man, three, you got 2.8 million followers total? Yes? Ish, yeah. You okay. never know. Keeps, keeps going up. You make 3.3 mil a year with this business, yes? This year, yeah. Like, in a year's time span up until now, that's how much I've made. Okay. I want to talk about all these products that you have and the funnel that you have set up. I want to get specific on this. So, you have the book. You got the school. You got a lot of things. How does your funnel work? Yeah, it's very simple, honestly. Well, kind of simple because it doesn't, it's like so simple that it doesn't make sense when I first explain it. Like I was having a consulting call, like I just started Cortex. We're building revenue for it with like consulting services to start while that app is being built. But I was having a call with him and I explained like, like, okay, you've been through my course, like, you know what I do. And then I just reiterated like exactly what I do. And he was like, mind blown. He's like, no way. I didn't think it was that simple. So what I do is it all starts with content. Everything revolves around content because I bake my promotions into my content and then just follow that schedule. And anytime I change either what I want to promote or what I'm launching, I only change like one little slot in my newsletter. So it starts with a newsletter. I write that for 30 to 60 minutes every morning. And when I say write, that could mean like researching or finding certain ideas for it. Is it a daily newsletter? No, no, no. It's a weekly. It's super long. So that's why it goes against the grain. And there's a few things there where I write super long because it filters out the people that want super short. So it's a more sophisticated audience off the bat. So it starts with a newsletter. Newsletter is super long. That gets turned into a YouTube video. Like it's used as a script after, and then the YouTube video gets uploaded to a podcast. Now, people always think, don't you think people will get bored of that, it being the same content? No, because I feel like it's the same reason some people read physical books over why they listen to audiobooks or why they do both at the same time. And especially if it's a long form newsletter or YouTube video, the the whole objection of like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's the same thing. That's irrelevant. It's 10 times better to do it that way. And it saves a lot of time, obviously. And it just makes things easy where I can sit down for 30 to 60 minutes, read the newsletter to the camera, send that off to the editor and boom, it's done. That's how long it takes me to do YouTube every single week. And that's arguably my most powerful platform because I put so much time into the actual newsletter itself though. So from there in the newsletter, depending on if I'm launching something, I'll have like after the first section, I'll have a promotion. So I'm launching the book. So 
I have like a book promo there where it's like, hey, I'm launching the Art of Focus keepsake box. Here's where you can buy it. And then I also mentioned that at the end. So now when that goes to YouTube, I'm straight reading that promotion to the screen. It's already baked in. I'm already promoting it. It's just like, I just follow along with it. So promotions and long form content done, right? Now I'm writing tweets every single day around two to three. Some of those are based off the newsletter. Some are not, but I usually talk about the same things or relatively similar things. So I write two to three, and then I take the best ones and I post those to Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube community. So again, it's all the same thing. Like it's the same exact content and people have their priority platforms and it's okay if they see it again, where I like the quote, I don't know if this is a quote or if I just like saying it is people like to be reminded more than they need something new or people need to be reminded more than they need something new, right? It's the fundamentals, like until it clicks, you need to be reminded of the things that work. And so that's my entire strategy is just say one thing a thousand different ways. And every time you do that, just repost it across every platform. Would you say that it's kind of you create one big thing and then you kind of shred it depending on what platform needs? Yes, but that gets difficult if the newsletter itself is like very philosophical and abstract. And I'm like, maybe there's one tweet that I can pull from the whole thing. So then I have to write more tweets. And those just come to my mind now because it's natural where I'm on a walk, I'll write down an idea, I'll schedule it as a tweet, good to go. But the thing with that is, when I post a tweet, so I'll go on every morning, I have this like in my calendar to go and plug a backlog newsletter, right? My newsletters are all on my blog. People don't understand this either, but there's a point behind that. I take the newsletter itself on the blog and I plug that under a tweet every single day. Now, when people go to that newsletter, they're hit with the opt-in at the top. So an opt-in form, like join my newsletter. That alone has increased my newsletter subscribers far beyond just plugging my newsletter or a lead magnet because the newsletter itself is a lead magnet and it's high value. It's both the newsletters that I'm plugging every single day are both a lead magnet and a sales page because they have my promotions and they have the email opt-in. And so that's the system that I just have to focus on every single week is one newsletter a week, three tweets a day, cross post the promotions as well. Because when I post the tweets, I also screenshot those post into my Instagram story. And if I promote the blog under the thing, then I post that to my Instagram story as well. I post it in the YouTube comments. I post it in the LinkedIn comments. So I'm promoting not directly to the timeline every single day. So it isn't hard sales every single day. It's more so nurturing, generating newsletter subscribers and also making sales. But then every time the newsletter goes out, I'm also promoting to them because it's in the newsletter as well. So that's the entire funnel in and of itself is I have like this suite of products that I can plug in the newsletter, according to what I talk about, like if I mention, oh, writing is a great skill, you can learn how to write here. It's never really a hard sell unless I'm very close to launching something. And then all of that just gets like recycled over and over again, because it's the daily actions, priority tasks that I do every single morning for like one or two hours. Two things that I want to go deeper on. You said YouTube, arguably my most powerful platform. So mm -hmm. let's pie chart this 3.3 mil up to this point. Where would you say the revenue comes from a niche platform. You're big on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter. I, I need to track because, well, the only reason I would want to track is to be able to give accurate numbers when people ask me that, because I genuinely don't care. Like I don't have analytics on my website or any of that stuff because I'm going to be doing all of the platforms anyways. <laughs> you, you get the, yeah, yeah. the people care. The people want to know where the money comes from. Yeah. So like, yeah, if you so, could pie chart it. Yeah. If I could pie chart it, I'd say 40 to 50% YouTube. And then I'd say 10% podcast just because that's like on the back. 
it doesn't get as many views, but like I would say monetiz monetization per views on the podcast is similar to YouTube because they're the same thing. Newsletter, very big one. I'd say that's 25%. And then I'd give each platform maybe like 5% simply because they're going to the newsletter and they may buy from the newsletter. Okay, before I asked about the newsletter, you said something very interesting, which is I make my promos baked in. When you promote something, do you bake it in in the content? As in content, it's also the ad? Or do you have content only and then add and then content and then add? Do you bake it in or do you alternate? I bake it in to an extent. So in the newsletter, obviously I bake it in. But like, okay, so the, the daily consistent stuff is baked in where I plug the newsletter every day. And in the newsletter, I promote just based on what I'm talking about. Like I said earlier, if it's like, oh, writing is a very good skill to learn, you can learn it here in two-hour writer, something like that. But I have like a three-week launch period whenever I launch something new. So give an example of the book or like a price increase. Whenever there's like a major event that I need to let people know, that's when I send out like a straight promotion tweet to the timeline or to Instagram or a separate email that is not my newsletter to like just tell people, hey, tomorrow is the day of the price increase because it's short, simple. I don't want to bake that into a newsletter or try to create another newsletter around that. Okay, so... I joined your newsletter. You have many products. So what are the products that somebody can buy on the newsletter? And if you could also pie chart that. That If you have it, that'd be cool. As in, this one makes the most money, this one makes the least money, this one's a passion project, and this one isn't. So the main two products that are like solidified that I want to stay are to our writer and digital economics. Like that, this is under my personal brand. Like under... I used to have some consulting. I've changed things around a lot. I still am doing consulting under like the other business now, but to our writer, digital economics are the two main products. One is $150. One is $999. And I would say they're honestly fairly equal. They're like 50-50 in how much revenue they generate. And then Modern Mastery is, if you're in Modern Mastery right now, there's only, well, people are going to watch this. This is eventually going to change over to Cortex. And so that's the new software company. So if you're in Modern Mastery, we're going to be transitioning things over. You're going to give it, be given a chance to actually change. You're going to get everything the same, but that is going to include the software in your subscription. So you get a bonus just for like switching over. So right at this point in time, maybe too early to say, but I'm not considering Modern Mastery under a part of me right now. So it's just those two products. But Modern Mastery was pretty... It was pretty profitable as well. I don't know if you remember this, but when sec first or second day we met in Austin, we were driving to Terry Black's. And by the way, Dan drives wicked fast. Like that guy steps in the pedal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember you said this to me. He said, you know what, Jakey, like making 20, 30 camera, like I don't really need much else. That's like what I need to like do my things that I want to do. This was a year and a half ago. Do you think that has changed at all? No, it's one. It's it's 100% the same. So if anyone here knows like business structure, the, so what, do you know what an S corp is where it's like you pay yourself on payroll? Okay. So for however many years, three to four years since I've had like this business that I operate under, I've just had everything go into a business bank account. And then I pay myself like whatever I need for personal expenses. So this year I'm finally like, okay. Let's do the S Corp thing for some tax savings, whatever. So now that's how much I send myself. It's around like 20, 30K a month. That's how much I can spend. Like that's me doing my own thing happy. But that's also created the distinction between myself and like just the business revenue. Because I think 20, 30K is enough to like live perfectly happy. 
but I'm not perfectly happy unless I can build. And so I need ample money just to shovel into building, right? That's why like doing the book, doing the software. So 2030, yeah, it's good. It gives me a good lifestyle, but I need ample more than that. If I want to continue taking bigger and bigger risks, that's what brought a lot of the fulfillment and meaning into my life is just constantly building and seeing how far I can go. This this is interesting. Okay. So 3.3 mil a year, that's what like up until now, that's like around 300K per month ish. So mm. minus your 20K, that's 280K. Where is yep. this 280K going? Are you just saving it? Are <laughs> you like spending it? Like what's oh, going okay. on? Yeah. So I have, I mean, man, I may get ripped apart for this. I don't know anything about investing and I don't care to invest in like the traditional route. I'm, I'm cool with like stocks and stuff, but I still don't know anything about it. So a lot of it's just sitting in my bank account, but I don't like it sitting in my bank account. So I start pushing it into other areas. So right now I invested a lot of money into the software. So I'm self-funding a team of close to 10 developers, like high-end developers who have a massive salary, the average salary for them. So there's a few that are 200K salaries and then some are part-time, but around the same. So I don't know, our burn rate's very high. I'm, I'm paying like for building that software right now and the education side, all of it is about 20K a week. So that's where the money's going, <laughs> but hopefully it pays off. I'm having fun doing it. Dude, that's sick. I have a lot of respect for you're just launching yourself into these things. And I want to go over this software because I did software and it was actually really scary because I had no idea how this thing worked. So like, what is this software and what's like kind of the vision you have for this? Oh, vision is good. So this is, I'm comfortable talking about it now. We've been putting off talking about it. So this is like first glimpse of what it actually is and it's hard to articulate. So vision for it is replace most creator apps with one app, but not in the, not in the like Kartra sense where it's just this huge jumble of products like, oh, you can have memberships and you can have a calendar and you can have email marketing and all this stuff. Like that's too slow. It's too jumbled. It's just like massive, slow app. But instead, let's start from top down. So vision for it is have newsletter capability, profile capability, being able to display or, or like have your newsletter, your blog, et cetera. I'm not explaining it very well. I'm not good at it yet. I'm good at building it. But in, in short, it's an actual true second brain app made for creators. So idea capture, so being able to capture ideas really fast, write them down. It's hard to do that in Notion or Todoist. There's no like good app for that, doing it quick. And then taking those ideas, also having like, we're going to have eventually a reader capability where you can upload PDFs, you can upload YouTube videos, et cetera, be able to watch and highlight from there. It'll store all of your highlights, like how you can integrate Readwise with Notion. So captures all of your ideas, but then combines all of your ideas in what we call core notes. So you being able to take notes. And the thing that's special about it there is we have created what's called elements. So think things like problem, benefit, goals, system, like all the things that you will see when you learn marketing, writing, et cetera. It's like the big principles for all of those that help you shape the notes themselves. And so it's a new note-taking system. And then from those notes, you can connect them. You can view them in a specific graph like you can Obsidian with their connect view. And then the thing that's unique about it up until this point is the create feature, which is how you create projects. So you can write newsletters, you can write tweets, but you can also build an outline. You can reference your notes on the side. And with the digital mind or second brain that you're building, our AI will be able to take that and guide you in writing 
a long form newsletter or YouTube video or podcast research or whatever it may be. And then once you publish a project, this is what I'm talking about in terms of like having a public profile is those will show on your profile, but it's going to be a different style of blog where people are going to be able to see your entire thought process that went into creating that thing. So if you wrote a newsletter based on specific core notes that you had, which are all like interconnected ideas and elements, people can go through and explore that and see where all of these ideas came from. They can get the source from it. They can like go find the book. There's a lot of those things to do with that. But then you can obviously gain newsletter subscribers, et cetera. There's a share feature where if I, oh, there'll be the paywall feature as well. So if you have projects that you want to have a paywall under, like for a course, then you can do that as well. But let's say that me and you want to collab on this, then we create our own second brain, like separate from our own profiles that we share. And then we add notes within there. We add certain research, certain sources, and then we can create along with that. So that's my long-winded way of explaining it. I dig it. When I started my software, what I found was that the main thing we did was basically combine two tools into one. It was a scheduler, but it was also kind of notion because that it's tweet hunter, right? So the thing is it's a scheduler, but it has tweet inspiration. And I used to have two apps and I combined it into one. And that was the entire business model. You could save on that. And this seems like it's combining three, four, five different apps into one. Am I explaining this correctly? Kind of. It's multiple different apps, but it's not like structured for you that way. Where it's like we have one main powerful system of taking notes. And then it's like, okay, what do you do with those notes? You create courses, you create newsletters, you create whatever. And we're giving people the features to allow them to do that rather than being like, oh, here's a courses feature, go make a course. It's like you're building your second brain of knowledge just as a daily habit, taking notes and structuring it in a way that makes it seamless and almost automatic to be able to charge for that knowledge and attract people to your reading with that knowledge. So it's all based off of the second brain, but other apps don't do that, right? It's like, okay, you need Notion in this, you need Notion in this, you need Notion in this, and we're kind of bridging it by just creating a create feature in the app itself. You know what I find when I try to take notes is that I'll start and I'll take notes. I'll create the pretty Notion page with the headings yeah. and the toggles, and then I'll do it once, and then I do it on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, I'll forget about it forever. And yeah. how do you, I'm curious, you have a bunch of ideas for many things. How do you take you know, how do you collect these ideas and actually use them? Because I feel like I collect them and I never use them or I never collect them at all. Yeah. So this is, I'll explain it outside of like how it, I use the app, but that was the main thing of the app is like how you take the ideas and actually make them all applicable or be able to apply them to something. But what I've found, so when I'm writing a newsletter, I have an outline for it and I usually start outlining it on like Sunday and I don't really include anything in the outline just yet. Maybe some tweets that it reminded me of that I wrote or something like that. But what I do, I create the topic for the newsletter itself. And then throughout the week, like the first few days, I go on a lot of walks and I'll throw on an audiobook or a YouTube video that interests me. And since I'm listening to that thing through the frame of my newsletter, ideas like are just magnetic to it. That's how I apply ideas to it. It's like, I don't really have a focus right now on saving ideas for later, just that I find. It's more so I'm going to intentionally search for good ideas for the newsletter that I'm writing. And no matter what I watch, even if it's a fitness video or a philosophy video and I'm writing about business, there will be ideas that stick out that I can use in there simply because I'm viewing it through the frame of I need to write this newsletter. It's hard to understand that until you actually do it, but that's how you make connections and that's how you create something truly unique is by having a topic on this 
listening to something on this, connecting the two and explaining your concept through both. You know, I actually brought, brought a prop for this call with you. And it's a prop you're very familiar with. It is, everybody, this is the Dan Cole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So when we were in Austin, Dan uh, gave me this. He said, you know, I used to dropship. Was this dropship or did you? That, that wasn't dropship. Okay. I used to sell uh, these wallets. So he gave me, he was very kind to give me this wallet. Really cool. It's got the, it's got the little thing on it. And I feel in this kind of the vibe I got by living with you, there were 0% times in which you actually cared about what people thought about the things you did. One time you just fucked off to Colorado and you just never told us. One day just <laughs> Dan wasn't there. We're like, where's Dan? Nobody knows. And then you, you did this and then you're doing the, the course and then you're doing this software. This ability that you have I think it's underrated of not caring what people think and pursuing your own thing anyway. Was that something you had always or was something you kind of developed over the years? How did that come to be? It's, I, I think it's something where I just made the decision finally, where I'd been trying things for so long. Like it took a lot of experimentation because I would do like the digital art stuff. And that was like well accepted because it's like, oh, that's cool. Like I actually like this stuff. My friends were like, oh, that's really cool. You should keep doing that. But then I switched to something else and then you get like colder responses from them. And you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. And you start second guessing yourself. And I switched to something else and it's like, I'm doing SEO. And then eventually after like hearing so many people's opinions on what I'm doing, I just stopped telling people. And I just sat in my room and would do the things I wanted to do anyways. Until finally it got to the point where on Twitter, where I really saw myself being able to grow on there because I tried different social medias so many different times. Like I failed on YouTube, tried to make like a fitness channel and on Instagram with the digital art. And after learning like copywriting Facebook ads with all of these experimenting with all of these different business models to learn those skills, I saw what people were doing on Twitter and I started to deconstruct why their posts were doing well, how they were selling what they were selling, how they were making money. And then I was like, okay, I actually think I can do this. So I started. And then from that point on, that's when I really got backlash in a sense, because I'd post something that were my beliefs and that were semi-polarizing. <laughs> like your life sucks because you watch Netflix too much. And that was more of like a subtweet to myself. And then they'd come to me and they'd be like, or, or we'd be getting lunch and then they'd mention offhanded like, oh, I can't watch Netflix tonight or else my life will suck. And I'm just like, like, you get the point of what I'm saying, but you don't need to do that. So from that point on, I'm like, I like doing this. I'm just going to, they can say whatever they want to say. I know I can actually make this work. And so I kept doing it. And then eventually it just became habit where it's like, or it solidified in my head. Oh, even if people do say things, the only thing that's going to slow me down is if I listen to them. Dan, are you aware we're all jealous of you? Why? Because <laughs> you just, just base, bro. You just get, just get this stuff. Like you invent new things. Oh. One, yeah. Like one thing I'll, I'll say one thing, you know how there's this, uh, you know, Naval Ravik novelisms, he invents these things as in do work that feels like play. It's a, it's this sticky slogans that you could like put in a bumper of a car and you have a few coisms that I really enjoy. One of the, my favorite one is the mind craves order. Cause every time I'm like, Oh really? Like, yeah. It, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a rut. I'm like the mind craves order, but things don't have to be ordered for them to work out. It's just your mind wants it to be that way. It doesn't mean that it is. Mm. What are some of your coisms that you're like, oh, I, I like, like this one is really practical. I nailed this one. Some that you like, one that I really like is if you don't choose a struggle, you'll be assigned one. 
like if you don't choose the thing you want to suffer for, aka a goal or a purpose, then you're going to be assigned one either way. And that's usually going to be a lot more difficult. You're going to be assigned a job. You're going to be assigned a life path. You're going to be assigned what to learn. Like if you don't make every decision or work to make every decision in your life conscious and intentional and by your own doing over time, over a lot of time, then you're going to fall into the trap of everyone else. Like you can see that most people are working towards goals that are not their own, that were projected onto them by their parents or their friends or whatever. They're doing everything to fit in and conform when that obviously leads to getting the same results as everyone else and getting the same results as everyone else. It's not fun. Like you can just look around and see that it's not fun. That's another one. I, I, I want the cohesion bit. Uh, one that a lot of people liked from the book, it's very, it's very early on in the book, is there doesn't seem to be a more worthwhile endeavor than to see what you're capable of. Another way of putting that in a way that I've said before is the only thing more painful than not pursuing the highest version of yourself is pursuing the highest version of yourself. So it's like, you, you again, it, that goes back to the same one is if you don't choose a struggle, you'll be assigned one. Life is suffering, as the Buddhists would say, or something similar to that. That's just how it is. Do you have kind of um, a vision, like an end game? As in, I want to create this before I die. It was it was the book, honestly. But now, like, as... as <laughs> is this where you announce your retirement? No, no, no. As things <laughs> go, I'm not satisfied. Like, I want to write another book. I, I'm already, like... I have, like, three book ideas in mind that I want to write. I don't know if it would be a book. I've always wanted to open a gym and some kind of, like, co-working space. The Muscle Mastery Gym. <laughs> Yeah, in the chat. Remember you uh, wanted to open a gym? You remember that? I do, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm mentioning. We're at, we're having dinner, and Dakota's Canadian, and I'm going to Oh, we, I remember we were all going to. Yeah, that lasted for like two days, and then we're like, yeah, let's just not talk about it, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we wanted to open this, Um, like my name for it was a train everything facility, a place where we could have coffees and, and train, and also like a library, and also like places to work. Uh, and the purpose for that, shout out Lobo. That's right, shout out Lobo. And the purpose for that was so that Dakota and I could get a work visa and stay in the United States, but that didn't work out. We had to go. Right. Yeah. We were sitting at two hands. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Dan, I want to ask you this. A lot of people are like, yes, it's easy for whoever is because they have so much reach, but they don't know that you made money even before you had the reach. But I'm curious, if you didn't have your current reach, how would you get rich? There's a few ways. Like right now, I like writing content. Like I'm good at writing content. And so that's what I would do. Like, are we talking about if I could start from scratch, like no matter what I'm selling, or are you saying like, if I were to go down the same path, but faster, what would I do? Whichever feels the best to answer to you. So if I were to do things different, like if I started from zero, thing that I know now is that I can make a lot of money just if I get a lot of reach where it's like, if you understand TikTok or you're lucky one time and you really have things set up, it's like, okay, you go on TikTok, you post a video. It gets like 100 to 500 to a million views and you have like something there for them to buy and it's good and it's persuasive, then you make a lot of money and you don't need any followers to do that. Like it can just pop off that way. But with Twitter or X or Instagram or most other things, like taking luck out of the equation and having more control out of over it, I can write a very high performing thread based around, let's say, let's just say something like productivity. I write a thread based on productivity. I create a Notion dashboard that's very persuasive in terms of becoming more productive in some way. Let's just say it's a good product, right? I create a good product. I write a good thread. Let's say it gets 2,000 likes. How am I going to get 2,000 likes? I know you say likes and catch, but this is also like a metric for views, like people actually engaging, going down, reading it, getting to the bottom. How am I going to get those 2,000 likes when I have, let's say, 100 followers? 
I'm going to use my non-needy networking process. In other words, just DMing people and being cool with them, like reaching out. I feel like I'm good at approaching someone where I can go in the DMs and to someone with, let's say, 50,000 followers and just be like, hey, dude, I've been following you for a while. I actually really like this tweet that you wrote earlier. It inspired me to write this one and then link it there. And there should be like, have a good day, dude. I'll see you around. That's it. And while I'm being honest, they still might go like retweet that. And if I do that a few times and I'm actually being genuine and I'm being cool, I'm not being like a corporate robot on LinkedIn where it's like, hey, great to connect. Let's talk strategy or some weird thing like that. It's like you just be a cool person like you would to someone that you're meeting at the coffee shop or someone else, somewhere else. And so if I do that, let's say five to 10 times and I'm very good at it, I can get those 2000 likes. And from those 2000 likes, let's say I sell $1,000 worth of my productivity product. I say that's doable. Maybe we can crunch the numbers more. But then if I continue doing that day after day and I'm consistent with it, let's say I write 30 threads in 30 days and each time I send it to five people and some of them pop off, go viral, not only am I building an audience that I'll be able to monetize in the future, even if they don't buy straight from that thread, but I'm making money along the way because I have so much traffic to that page. Now, if I wanted to enhance things even more, we could go the high ticket route and I could just have a simple like service funnel with a questionnaire, have them get on a sales call with me, or even just close in the DMs, send them the invoice to pay for the service. And then I'm monetizing at a much higher level. I'm personally right now, this point in my life, I'm more biased towards low ticket products just because I like that lifestyle more. But I do see the power in like high ticket and how that can really set you up when you have a low following. It's a win early on. You get a 1K, 2K client early on, it's like, yeah. That changes your life. That's like the base. Yeah, you could definitely start with that. Get to, yeah, that's the general mm -hmm. progression. All right, now I'm going to go into a spicy question, the one that I really wanted to ask you. I admire your patience. You can just deal with people, even if if like maybe they're not going to be your best friends for life. You, you can still tolerate the prison. I'm a little bit more petty myself. And the questions I get that I consider lazy, I don't answer them because I get mm -hmm. tired of them. Stuff like, Dan, what are some books that would recommend so I would have your mindset? Dan, what's your morning routine? What is one thing you do differently? What is your mindset advice? When you get these kind of questions, it's not that they're bad questions. It's kind of cop-out questions because you know they're not going to do the work sometimes. Do you not get tired of these questions? I really needed to ask you. Uh, yeah, I definitely get tired of them. It depends on the question. But I, I'm kind of like, dude, it's a blessing and a curse to be at the level I'm at. And I always sounds weird saying that, like, oh, I have a, I have a lot of followers. Like, <laughs> no, you do, bro. Like, like you're you're different, I, I do, and, right? and you, you know you're different. Yeah, but the thing about this is, like, I'm kind of happy because now it's like all or nothing in terms of actually answering people. Where it's like now there's when people say when you're starting out, it's like, oh, you charge for levels of access. Like, it costs a lot more to consult with this person rather than buying a product. Right? It, it costs money to get their attention because one. If you break down the math, like I would say that I get three to 500 comments every single day. If it takes me 30 seconds to reply to each of those comments, it's a lot of time. Like that would take, that would be my entire full-time job. I wouldn't have any time to build or sell. The things that got me that audience would lose priority if I just responded to everyone. So for me, it's kind of all or nothing where, yeah, I'll occasionally check and I'll occasionally reply to one person that has like a very good question if I see it. But at this point in my time, in my life, 
the things that do move the levers, those demand time and focus that when I focus on comments and certain questions and other things, like it doesn't get done or it doesn't get done to the highest quality. And this isn't me saying like, oh, I don't respect or am grateful for my audience. It's just like, you guys wouldn't be following me. Like you guys wouldn't be here if I was just spending all day responding to you guys. Like I have to put in the thing that brought you guys to me, you know? So I'm kind of grateful where it's like, I don't have to answer those questions. Anymore. Okay. Let's get funny here. So you get a lot of DMs, a lot of them. Yeah. What yeah. Is... So that's on top of DMs as well. It's like three to 500 comments a day and one to 200 DMs. And it's like, that's a impossible day. a day. Yeah. You get 200 in DMs a day? Instagram. I have 1.6 million. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. How often do you get recognized offline? Decent amount. I'd say whenever I go in public, which is often very more like whenever I go to a coffee shop, I'd say it's like 50% of the times that I go, but that's just local. It's usually not very common when I'm like out to dinner or doing something, which is nice, but it's, it's more common where my, what was the story? Okay. So my, my girlfriend was working and her boss was like talking to her about some like YouTube person. It wasn't me. But somehow they got on the conversation of like, oh, what does your boyfriend do? And she was like, oh, well, he kind of like does the same thing. He does like YouTube stuff. And so the manager was like, oh, okay, give me his YouTube. Like, I want to go watch it. And then he came back the other day and was like, oh, it's funny. I've, I've actually watched a few of his videos and I've seen a podcast that he's on. Like, that's the craziest thing to me where that's happened a lot of times where my friends will talk to people and they'll be like, oh, like, what do you do for work? Like my editor, Devin. He'll tell them, oh, I edit this guy's YouTube videos. And they're like, oh, like I watch them all the time. I follow on Instagram. And it's just interesting how that works. I feel like people also don't know it's me because they see the profile picture. And that, like people have told me I look like I'm 35 or 40 in the profile picture. I don't see it. But that's kind of a good filter because then people don't like notice me in person. Uh, I don't know if I should mention this, man, but when I posted, hey, I'm doing the workshop with Dan Code, does anybody have a question for him? Somebody commented, why does Dan look homeless and enlightened at the same time? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, he's not homeless, I'll tell you that much. Okay, you get a bunch of interactions. What is the weirdest interaction you've had online, like from strangers that message you or something? And what is the best interaction that you've had online? Oh, man. Weirdest is I had a few months ago, I had a stalker who genuinely insane. Like she she was a client at one point. She signed up for consulting and her payment didn't go through. Thank goodness. Like absolutely. Thank goodness. Her payment didn't go through. So we worked for her for a bit. But then after like it just didn't go through, we're like, OK, we have to stop doing this. Like you haven't paid so we can't work together. Right. And then time goes on. I, I stopped looking because it was just weird things where first she expressed her love for me, said we were twin flames. And then she continued on. And this is like over the course of 100 emails or 60 emails and 100 texts because she had my phone number since she was almost a client. And like, think of it as just like an exponential increase where it started out with like her just treating my email as a diary where she was just telling me about her day and like what she read in the Bible and all of this other stuff. And then eventually it just hit this thing where she's saying that I'm gay and that I'm in a sex trafficking ring and that like she's going to move into the house across from me and that she's going to like one, the Grim Reaper is out to get me like death threats and all of this shit, like just out of nowhere, exponential. So I call the cops. I get a restraining order. I move locations twice. So if you watch my YouTube videos and 
it was just like, you see this background and you saw the other one. It's because I moved because I was fucking scared for my life. And I changed my phone well, you number. You moved houses because of her? I moved houses twice, yeah. Because she sent me a location where she's like, oh, I'm buying this house in Phoenix. I'm moving here. Like, your dog can come and move in with us. And I, like, looked on the map where the house was. It was across the street from me. And I was just like, no. Like, I'm not dealing with anything close to this. So, yeah, I moved. And changed my phone number because she had some kind of software that would create a new number every time she texts me. So I'm just getting like constant, like terrible texts that like you look at them and you just feel like shit because you're like, why is this happening to me? Yeah, I'm glad that's hopefully over. Who knows? Maybe me talking about it is going to spark it back up. But at least it's like out there now. So if it does happen, I'm posting it everywhere. And I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. This so is, that was worse. This is, this is when you say, yeah, and that's how I learned not to post shirtless six-pack app pictures. That's when I learned to stop posting anything personal. Like, people tell you to do personal stuff. There's another one where I posted, like, a picture of me and my sister to my story on Instagram. Because it's like, we're, we're out. We're having a good time. My sister's here. Oh, that's cool. And, like, people were just saying the most shittiest shit in the, con I mean, in the DMs, like, replying to it. Like, you can imagine what they're saying. It was just bad. And it's like, I don't want that. It's like, so now it's good because I just get to focus on what I like writing and really like focus social media on that. But yeah, personal stuff is like very rare just because I don't know if I knew how to handle it. Like I heard Hormozzi as a bodyguard a lot of the times. It's I like, I don't have a security team. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want that. Let, let's switch gears then. What's that wholesome, a nice interaction you've had on that? You're like, this is great. Dude, it's always the people that come back after like two, three years and they just pop into the DMs and they're like, hey, I learned web design from you three years ago. Like I'm at 50K a month now. And I'm just like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, cause that's what they say. It's like super short to the point and they give like the salute. And that just makes me feel good where it's like, because that's like me. I was never very vocal about my results. I was never one to leave a testimonial. I was never one to like actually talk to the people. I would buy the mastermind groups never talk. I just wanted to observe and like watch everything and try it myself. And so I know that those people are like me and they were doing that. And then after three years, I'm grateful that I was the one that came to mind because I'm sure they took so many different other courses and other things. And they DM me and they're just like, hey, like I saw results with this after so many years. I don't know. That's always the best feeling. Then what's something that you, when you hop on these podcasts, people don't ask you that you're like, oh, I kind of want to talk about that, but like, they just didn't ask me that. Is there something in your mind like that right now? I don't know. I, I, I like talking about the philosophy stuff, but every time I get into that, I have so much difficulty articulating it like on a podcast. I'm much better at writing that stuff. Like I'm, I'm an open book about whatever you ask, but I'm probably best talking about business. Yeah, right, cool. All right, we, we talked about this uh, the other day, and you didn't know this, but we're both really into the 16 personalities MBTI test, which is basically like astrology, but like for dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're an actually an INFJ, which is the rarest personality type. It's like 1.6% of the population. It is the rare. I only know two people like that in my life. Yeah, because like almost everyone or a lot of people I ran a poll in the Art of Focus community. 30% of them are INFJ. And like a lot of people that buy my courses or are attracted to my content are also INFJ, majority of them. And so that's also ties into like, you are the niche where just by saying the things you want to say in the way that you would say them, you're attracting people like you and the people like you are the ones you can help the most because you know you best and how you operate. It's like a self-reflection study. You learn a lot about yourself. I took away from it, but go ahead. 
Yeah, walk, walk me through that. Yes. You made a more interesting point. You are the niche. I saw one video about that from you. And a lot of people come in and they ask, how should I niche down? Do I go broad? Do I go specific? And then Danko says, you are the niche. What does that mean? That means that, so if we break down what a perspective is and like identity kind of creates perspective, because the way, the way that I can explain this is like, okay, if I'm a bodybuilder and I go to McDonald's with my friend, I'm going to like my perspective of what McDonald's is, is going to be like, oh, this is gross food. It isn't conducive to my goals. And then if those two people go to like Whole Foods, the bodybuilder's happy because he's like, oh yes, this fuels my goals. The other person's like, I don't see the benefit in this. This just looks like we're going to whole paycheck because it's so expensive. It's like that. So identity shapes perspective, but perspective, when you deconstruct it, there is, I have like the framework in my book where it's purpose, path, priority, or in other words, what a perspective is, is a goal, a path to get there. So hierarchy of goals, subsequent goals, and then like what like how you perceive everyday situations through the lens of that goal. So for your brand, your brand is your goal. What are you leading people towards? Like what's the end, the vision for your life? Is it being financially free? Is it living the nomad lifestyle? Is it having a six pack body and laying on the beach? Like what is the transformation that you're selling that shapes the perspective of your brand? And that's what you're working towards. That's what you're leading followers towards. It's how you gain followers is you be a leader. From that, you need a hierarchy of goals to get there. So that can be in the form of content or just like, what do people need to get to that end goal? It's usually going to revolve around skill set and mindset. So the skill set that you've developed to help you get to that goal is what you can teach others in the form of a product. Mindset or also in content, right? But then mindset, what limiting beliefs and mindset have you have to form in order to also reach that goal and overcome the mental side of things going towards that? And that also becomes content and product. Like there's mindset and skill set. I don't think either can be separated, no matter how cringe we think like mindset is. I think it's only a certain type of content that is like that, where it's like very basic, shallow self-help, but it can go deeper than that. Uh, and then like how you perceive situations is like how you get that point across. So in other words, it's turning yourself into the business where your product is what you do on a daily basis. Like what are you doing that gets you to the goal that you want? So I'm a writer. I write two hours a day. That helps me become free, be able to start a business, be able to make an income, be able to fuel other businesses with my audience, et cetera, et cetera. And like you can see the marketing strategy start to flesh out here and of my product to our writer. And so there's obviously more nuance than that. But in terms of you being the niche, that's kind of it. I don't like focusing on like a specific market because you already belong to a market. And so if you just market and sell and write to yourself, you're going to attract the people that are like you, that will resonate most with your marketing and sales and et cetera. And you don't have to lock yourself into this niche that someone else told you to go into. And then you learn that you just don't like working with those people, right? Like if I were to go on LinkedIn for my target market, that is corporate CEOs, and I get on calls, like I land three clients and I get on calls with them and it's just draining. It's like, I don't like talking to these people. They're nothing like me. I don't like the corporate lingo. I don't like the bossiness. It's like, I just like, I want to work with people that are like me because those are who my friends were going to be anyways. And if I can bake that into my work and how I make an income, then to me, life becomes a lot more fulfilling. Is it not hard in, in the beginning? Because honestly, I got into ghostwriting and I wish I could have told you, yes, it was because I really felt like I was called to write in the beginning. But honestly, man, mission day one was not like fulfill my desires. It was just make JK rich. 
honestly. And that's probably the yeah. main still take. Is it difficult yeah. as a as a beginner to be like, yes, I get it, but it's like, I just want to make money, dude. Let me put it like, like you, you still have to experiment. Like that isn't the end all be all where I'm like, oh, you are the niche. Like that's kind of just a concept to give you clarity on what to do. And I do believe it helps, especially in personal branding. Like when you're writing content and other things like that, it helps show people who you are. And that's what's going to persuade a lot of people to buy from you or at least refer you. This is one example where I was talking to someone who sells female empowerment coaching, but she only talks to people or, or writes content for the female empowerment niche. But if she were to go broader, express who she is, express her beliefs, open it up to anyone that wants to follow her. Let's say she gains, she goes broader and she gains an extra like 200,000 followers by writing good content and not changing every message to be only applicable and relatable for people that like female empowerment. She has 200,000 people that when she says what she do, what she does, they can refer her. So you think network effect. Let's say that every single one of those 200,000 people know three women that could use her services. She's going to reach a lot more people simply because she broadened herself up. But this also, this makes people think like, okay, well, I've been told all my life to niche down, niche down, niche down, like riches are in the niches or whatever. And I agree. But what I'm saying here is for your brand, for a personal brand, for a creator, you're doing yourself a disservice if you put yourself in a box. You want to be you and expand that over time to encapsulate more of an audience that you can filter down through lead magnet, newsletter, low ticket product, high ticket product, all of those things becoming more and more niche to solve a more profitable problem along the way. It almost feels like just exposing your values to your audience. And if I could like yeah, put yeah. it in, in, in like a sentence, it could be like, you don't tailor yourself to the market, you tailor the market to you. When you yeah. expose the values and you throw it out there, this is why you attract people with the rarest personality type. Like it's wild that so many people with the rarest personality type are in your community. Like yeah. if you think about it, that's kind of, it's not common, right? But because you put out your stuff, uh, you just attract like. So I've been, after watching that from you, I made a bigger effort to share my values and what I believe in. Somebody here asked, JK, why are you transitioning more to the Danco and Justin Welsh model? It's because honestly, I got turned out. And my value is I want to be able to say no, but I hate being told no. So when I put it out there, I drive people to kind of, I like that. Yeah. Add something on there is I, I think that people as creators need to evolve like time and time again. It's like a lot of the people that get to like the level of a big YouTuber, they get to the point where they have the resources that they don't need to keep going so hard on like audience building and social media. They left their mark. And they need to evolve into something new, possibly start a new business like I am doing the software. And they really decrease how much content they put out. A lot of them. Like Hamza is going hard right now, but you get what I mean. It's like there are stages in both ego development or personality development. And that transfers well over into like creator development or business development is like if you get trapped at a singular level rather than evolve into what makes more sense, gives you more time, gives you more freedom, then there's kind of a problem there. But this is also why I like the creator economy so much is because it encourages this evolution of your business. And people, when people evolve to the next level, let's say those big YouTubers and they stop producing so much content, they open up room for the beginner creators to actually get started. So saturation is very difficult to exist if people allow themselves to evolve and grow continuously. So JK Molina transitioning to more of the one person business or like whatever business model this is, that is different from 
a lot of people that have been stuck at the same follower count for the past three years that I keep my eyes on, that's why. It's because the evolution is a necessary progression, but people don't see it as a necessary progression. So a lot of them don't do it. Two or three people have joined lately in the program, and I always ask them, who's running the kind of business that you want to run and why? And those two to three people said, Dan Co. So I'm, sh I'm sure you've seen people who like, dude, like you build a great business. You build a dream business, but I've seen, I've obviously you've seen people who try to kind of do what you have done. So can you like, from the people you've seen trying to do what you have done, can you explain kind of where do people fail at trying to build what you have built? They don't do everything. Like they take too much time and they make excuses for focusing on one specific thing. It's like one, you have to dedicate your life to it because in many cases, I hope it, that it's your life's work. Like I hope it evolves into something that you just don't see yourself not doing. Like I'll probably still be posting on Twitter, if not whatever the writing social media of the future is when I'm like 80 years old. I'm going to be like Jordan Peterson, maybe not in like authority, maybe, but in terms of just doing what I like doing, because that's why I like doing it. So the thing there is, is like, you have to learn every single skill that goes into building a business if you want to do it well. You have to experiment with web design. You have to experiment with marketing, copywriting, sales, email marketing. Like you have to absorb all of the knowledge that you didn't learn in school and you have to not expect it to take any shorter than it took you to go through school, right? So you have to obsess over self-education in every single domain. You're a one-person business, meaning that you are the marketing sales email marketing, graphic design, branding, content, you're all of those departments in one. And thank goodness we live in our times right now because software allows you to do that well and efficiently, but you still have to take the time to learn and iterate. And another big problem is that people think their first product has to be absolutely perfect and the best hit, not even close. Like you have to just, because you don't understand this until you actually do it, but you need data in order to actually create a good product. So you're going to create a product. You're going to make a few sales. It's going to be cool. You're going to be like, oh, I can actually make money with this. But if you don't improve and evolve and create a new product from what you are learning because you're growing fast over the next like six months, that's the thing is constant evolution of not only you, but your products and your brand and your business and your skill set. That's the thing is like you can't get stuck in any one phase and you can't prevent yourself from not allowing yourself to make any form of progress. Like if you don't have a product out, you're not going to start making progress in terms of like revenue or just product sales in general until you get the product out. Like whether you get your first product out at 500 followers or 50,000, it's still going to suck and your second one's going to be better. So it might as well, like you might as well do it now and just get all of that out of your head so that you have a reference point to create something better. Would you say monetize day one? I would because I did, yeah. You know what's super interesting to me? One of the things, some of my greatest joys in life is when I see two like really successful people that- And they do the opposite. And they do the opposite. Yeah, and it's like they did something. Like I asked Justin Walsh the same question. Some of these people will, um, I, don't, I don't have a horse in this race, but some of these people will compare like, I want the Justin Welsh, Dan Cole model. And I asked the same question to Justin. He's like, probably not. And he's successful. And I ask you the question, you're like, probably yes. Yeah, there's, there's a reason behind this. I think it's experience because- a lot of people say, you've heard this argument a lot too, is don't start on social media until you build offline and then come online, right? But I, I, so there's two different paths there where it's like, Justin, he had so much authority before social media to the point where it's like, yeah, he can create a product and he 
probably knows how to do it well because he has so much experience just in life, right? But me, I started, if it was four or five years ago, I'm 27. So I started when I was like 22. I didn't have much life experience. Like I'm right out of college. I had just started freelancing and frankly still didn't know what I was doing, but making decent money. I just quit my first job and only full-time job. And so it's like, I didn't have any major results aside from like, oh, I'm freelancing which is what a lot of people want to do. Like people, some people see that as the dream. And so when I started on Twitter, I had to build my authority fast. And that's the thing that really made it for me is like just by getting a product out, that is like leap in experience. And so just in having the experience and being able to grow quicker and then launch a product and it not really being too much of a survival game for him, where for me, it's like, okay, I just quit my job. I'm freelancing. I'm making decent money. But I'm still scared as shit that in the back of my head, like three clients are going to drop off next month and I'm going to be broke again. Then what am I going to do? So I'm like pushing for money in the most ethical, ethical way that I can by creating a product that I think will help people. So either way it works, but I think there are two paths that people have to pay attention to there is that one, don't gatekeep social media to people that only have experience. Like it's social media. It's everyone, right? Like it's an incredible personal growth journey, just writing out your thoughts and improving them, building a product, failing, improving them, like just starting a business, no matter what your experience is, is a way to like supercharge how fast you actually grow as an individual. So the two paths there is like, as a beginner, maybe it's wise to build and fail at a product sooner. So you can start building that authority because people that only have free content and no prior experience don't have the authority. Like sure, Hormozy has a few books that are his products now. But before that, that's like the argument is, oh, Hormozy does, like he gives everything away for free. Why don't you do that? And it's like, because I didn't build my riches outside of social media. I'm building them on social media. So you need to make that distinction and decide which way you want to go. Wrote about this today. I think that making your free stuff better than everybody else's paid stuff, I think that's a myth. People is like, when you give money for something, there's commitment. With commitment, there's the effort that you're going to put to change your life. So by actually charging for the stuff that you do and not giving everything away for free, you give people an excuse and permission to actually do something about their problems. So big fan of charging yeah. also makes you money. Yeah. It's not noble to not make money because money is value exchange. And if you're not making money, then frankly, you probably aren't contributing to society. That was hard. We're putting that in short. That was nice. <laughs> I have a few things over here. What is one thing or not one thing, but thinks that when I explain likes and cash, for example, people are like, oh, so likes are not relevant. I'm like, no, that's, that's not what it means. It, it said, focus on the things that actually move the needle. That's kind of what likes and cash is. When you explain your coisms and your message, what are some things that are often misunderstood? The one person business one now is difficult for me to like explain or stick to because I have the other business, right? And over the past few months, like, I have the editor, I have support, I have other things. Like technically only a small fraction of my business is one person right now. So this is actually leading into future newsletters and other things because I've evolved, right? So my content has to follow that and I have to kind of educate, trickle down. So rather than the one person business, it's going to be like the business of you. I still haven't come up with a name for it, a concept, like the invention. That's the thing is I, I just want it to seem like I want you to understand that it's a way to understand business. It's not about it being one person. It's not about it being the four hour workday. That's the concept. The truth behind it is like just 
a, a high level understanding that allows you to make better decisions in business. So I would say most of the things that I write are misunderstood because most people can't interpret lessons from a metaphorical lens. They interpret from a literal lens. They're like, oh, you said your life sucks. My life doesn't suck. What are you talking about? And then they don't see anything. Like they don't get the point of the message. That's the thing is like people need to try to get the point of a message and they'll feel a lot. Well, their lives will be a lot better because they won't be as emotional and like reacting. It's like when I say something and exaggerate a point, it's because I'm trying to enhance the essence of the message where it's like, instead of saying your life sucks because your subconscious knows that you could be doing better, you could say your life is not that good because I don't know, it's just not as potent, right? It doesn't get the point across. It doesn't spark behavior change. It doesn't make people stop and think, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe I need to do something about this. Like if it's just a watered down piece of advice, nobody's going to change their, who they are and what they do. Therefore, they're not going to get results. Therefore, your words are close to meaningless because they're not doing anything. They're not, again, contributing to humanity. They're not sparking that change or moving people in a certain direction. Right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and then we're going to we're gonna open up to questions. I got two more questions for you. And you, you're free to talk about anything you want. But this one is, the other day, I asked my family and my friends, guys, I have a question for you. Do you think money changed me? And I thought they were all going to say, of course not, JK. You've always been the sweet little guy that you are. But unanimously, they're all like, yes, it did. You're like way less tolerant now. Like, thanks, guys. I mean, I guess it's true because they say it, right? <laughs> I, would ask, I would like to ask that to you. Do you think money changed you? Yeah. I mean, I'm just not the same person. Like, even if I didn't make the money, I'd still be a different person, hopefully. But it helped me. I feel like it helped me change in the right direction because it gave me more power to fuck up. Where it's like, I, I bought the fancy watch and then I got home and I looked at the watch and I'm like, I hate myself. Why did I buy this? And then I took it back the next day, haggled, haggled with the sales guy because they had the refund policy. But like one, you feel like crap when you go and you return something so expensive because you're taking away the commission from the sales guy. So I feel like crap going in there, but I also felt like crap for buying it and wasting my money on that impulsive decision. So it taught me that early on where it's like, I don't really care about the watches. Like I don't care about the fancy clothes. I bought a lot of fancy clothes and I keep coming back to just plain <laughs> black hoodies. I wear Vans, like sweats and less in the gym that it's like, I like Lululemon, which is fancy in some cases, but it's things like that where it's allowed me to make those mistakes faster. It's allowed me to invest what will eventually be like a million dollars into funding the new business. And if it fails, like one, I was comfortable doing that. Like if I was broke, then yeah, that would be painful. But at least like now I'd be able to just acquire all of that experience without taking much of an actual hit. So the more money that you have in this sense is like the more I can do and the less people relate because they can't do those things as well. And so they think you've changed, but in reality, like you're just doing the things that money has unlocked for you to do and whether or not the individual pulls the lesson from that experience, good or bad, then that will determine whether or not they like change good or bad. Cause it's all like, relative as well. Like I, you, you see rich people all the time. You see Tate spreading his message and sparking change. I don't really care for Tate. I'm not saying that I like side with him or anything, but he is making a big impact in moving a lot of people in a positive direction from the direction that they were going. And I bet if you actually meet Tate, like when he's not in character, he's just a normal fucking dude. Like he, he's cool. He has a lot of experience under his belt 
and he knows how to play the game well, and he knows how to make a lot of money. And I would say that he's overall in the balance of life because there's bass notes of a song and there's high notes of a song. I would argue that he's more of a positive song playing in this world. I know a few people that notate, they say that in real life, he's a chillest dude. Like super yeah. relaxed, super cool. Like It's know. the same with like Grego Gallagher. You hear that all the time where he's like a cocky douche in his videos, but he's gotten a ton of people shredded and like huge and on a good fitness path in life because of that, because it's attention grabbing. Remember when we went out to dinner with Mason in Austin? Yeah. And we asked him, are we like different from social? <laughs> and the guy's like, no, you guys are the same. The exact same. I feel like I'm the same because my content is very stoic. And then, well, it's like it's stoic, but then I have those periods where I like pop off or like get polarizing. Dude, you're 100% same. So let me tell you guys what it was like at the Molina Dakota Danco household at the time. So Danco wakes up. First thing he does, he gets dressed, pops nicotine, goes to the coffee shop. Sometimes he doesn't say hi because he's in focus mode, right? At the time, he was focusing on seed oils. That was his thing. It was like, is seed oils bad? Is good whatever right and he goes to the coffee shop works and keeps working and then you leave and then he keeps working and then he goes and walks works out watches a netflix show at the end of the day and that's it sometimes we didn't exchange words we lived six feet from each other and sometimes i didn't explain words so sometimes people ask me like yo like bro like between us what's dan like i'm like i don't know <laughs> your guess is just as good as mine <laughs> yeah very quiet people yeah. people point that out a lot I've learned to like, at, sometimes it does still like hurt, not hurt, but it's like, should I not be quiet? Like, should I learn to spark more conversation? Like I can definitely have a conversation with someone, but a lot of the time I like just being quiet. I don't know. I'm slowly learning that that's just who I am and I like that more. And so I need to lean into that. Maybe that's it. That works. Before I get into questions, I have a selfish question because, well, I have you here someone as well ask what, like, here's the thing, bro. I built the business and I got super burned out. And then I thought, you know what? I built the business that I was told to build, not the one I wanted to build. Sales team, check. Setters, check. Ads, check. I didn't want that. Closer, check. Zoom calls, check. Like, I hate Zoom. You know this. And I'm like, you know what? Let me let me scale back. And now I'm like, I'm making kind of the same amount in terms of profit. But it's like, I have a lot of time left in the day because I just read up mm -hmm. so much. Then I'll ask people, like, Ryan, my business partner, what do I do? He's like, have kids. Like, I don't <laughs> want to do that right now, right? He, yeah. he, he's old, so he gets it. I wanted to ask you this, like for people who are like, I got the money, like I got the time, I got the freedom. And I think that people believe you're like, I mean, you are extremely good at business. I think you're like even just as good, sometimes even better at philosophy and, and life and that kind of stuff. So do you have any advice for me and the people who are like, I got the money, I got the time, what do I do? I'm trying to package it up and I'm trying to like uncover the reason behind the things that I did. Because I don't want to just prescribe like, oh, go on more walks and read more books and do things like that. Because the reason I was doing those things is because I love the feeling of being able to take all of those ideas and like filter them into the newsletter. So something that I was during doing during my focus work. So if there's a way where you're doing the things that you enjoy doing during the time that you do it, is there a way to bake in other activities that amplify what you're doing during that time? And if not, then maybe it's time to build something new, like a family, build something, right? It doesn't have to be a business. Build a family, or if you go the business route, use it from the place of your newfound experience where, again, with the coism is like, if you don't 
choose a struggle, you'll be assigned one. You actually choose the struggle this time rather than like, oh, okay, this is the common thing to do in business, hire high ticket closers, setters, et cetera, et cetera. What do I actually want to build that I can like mindfully invest my time, money, energy into that wouldn't take away from the enjoyment of my lifestyle? But of course it would come with like downsides. Like there's definitely times with me building out Cortex that it's like, like, fuck, did I make the right decision? Like biting off more than I can chew. What am I doing? But then you let that reach equilibrium again. And you're like, no, I made the right decision. This is fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. One time I had Andrew Wilkinson has this Twitter subscribers thing where if you subscribe to him, he does a, a monthly Zoom where you can ask him anything. Somebody asked him a really good question. This guy is a billionaire. And someone asked him, when did you stop worrying about money? And he said, as a billionaire, no matter how much money I make, I've always managed to worry about money to some yeah. degree. <laughs> That's a good idea. Do you, do you also feel that way? Yeah. Like you, you have to worry about it. It's funny. A lot of what we talked about today in terms of like, like the noble pursuit of like not making money, like, oh, money's evil, this, that, and other. I'm writing a newsletter on that right now and how deeply intertwined money is just with modern life. Like it is, a, it is now a basic need. Like you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everything in there requires money. Like money is the need, right? For and like anything. So it's deeply intertwined in our psyche and our survival and everything that we do. So when we're not seeing that progress of like up, 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 all these sales notifications coming in, when you hit an inevitable like lull or going down a certain wave, then you're like, I need to do something. Like I need to build something new. I need that's probably my reason behind building Cortex, just it was an unconscious decision is like, like, I don't really know what I want to do next to my personal brand. And then in the back of my head, it's like, well, you're going to run out of money when I'm not. But then it's like, okay, make the decision to go and like do this business thing. In modern life, I feel like it's there, like the worry of money, even if people aren't conscious that it's there or they say that it's not there, they're just not aware of it and how it influences their actions. I love the honesty. Fuck yeah, Dan. That's it. Let's go on to some questions. We're going to go into Q&A. Dan, in some of your content, you talk about abundance and scarcity mindset. How you shifted mm -hmm. gears. What change did you do to your mindset that... Are, I, I guess what he's asking is, what mindset did you, you have to make to like really like change? You have to act regardless of how you feel. Because like feelings don't mean anything. They're feedback, but they're not going to... like It's not going to hurt you. I don't know. So the thing is, is like you have to prove yourself wrong. And that's the first mindset shift you have to make is I like, okay, scarcity mindset. I don't think I can make money with this business model. Not abundance mindset yet, but counter that and be able to like zoom out and call out your own bullshit is like, okay, I need to prove that wrong to myself because obviously other people have done it. It's, it's practicing. This is like the main thing of my book is like practicing the art of zooming out your focus, like getting the bigger picture. Like, am I being rational here? Where obviously if you zoom out and it's like, I can't make money doing what he does because he has this many followers and he's making this much and he has all this experience and then zoom out. It's like, actually think about it. How did he get that experience? How did he get those followers? How did he get everything else? He also started from zero and you can kind of convince yourself to at least start acting and then prove yourself wrong through those actions until it just becomes second nature to have those certain attention patterns where, oh, there's a cool business opportunity. I'm going to go do it. And then you do it. This is a good one from, from Juanma. On non-self-development business, so maybe non-directly high ROI skills. If you like some topic a lot and you don't, you could talk, write, create about it constantly, but it doesn't change people's life directly as in monetary mm -hmm. ROI. 
and it's not about self-development. Is this sellable or worth pursuing? I Okay, so it can be sellable. So in my eyes, the eternal markets are what most of your interest should be channeled into. So eternal markets, health, wealth, relationships, right? People always buy fitness products. People always buy health products. People always buy business products, money products, relationships products, like how to go on a date, how to be better at sex, how to nurture your marriage, whatever it is. Almost all of your interests, like they're important to you because they are like you still apply them to your daily life. Like if that's how you do it is you apply the teachings to your daily life. Why do I like abstract philosophy? Because it calms my mind and it gives me the ability to view business from a high level and actually make progress in it. So you need to pair your abstract interests with a very practical interest that does change people's lives. And that gives you at least the satisfaction about being able to write about what you want to write about. So if you go and look at my newsletters, like go look at why niching down is terrible advice with YouTube video or like niching down is stupid, something like that. I start off with like Ken Wilber philosophy on just like how hierarchies are nature. And then I kind of connect that with what we talked about in this call is like how your brand is kind of a hierarchy in itself, where you have like high ticket service, low ticket product, newsletter, lead magnet, brand. Like that builds on top of each other and gets more niche with time. So it's like connecting abstract ideas with something that will actually help people in their lives. And, and, and if you don't have any experience, go the self-improvement route and really start improving that area where it's like, okay, how, how can people actually improve their lives, their mindset, their nutrition choices, their focus, their productivity, which is all, all of that's tied to money. Like everything's tied to money if you actually follow the connection as we discussed earlier. Yeah. Dude, Devin is selling $5,000 quid porn packages. You can yeah. make money with anything, bro. Well, if you, if you know how to market it well, like even... Not that you have to position it from a money angle, but since money is so deeply intertwined, like quitting porn, it helps you be more charismatic. It helps you attract more women. Attracting more women helps you be perceived as higher status. It gives you more confidence to pursue the career you want to like go after. Like I'm just listing out a sales page right here. So, but uh, I see Nicholas saying 5K for how long? I don't know. Probably like 90 days. Like the thing here is, like when I was when I was freelancing. I was so scared to charge over like $1,500 to $2,000 because I didn't understand. Like I didn't have the direct experience of being in business where now like with Cortex, I'm spending 20K a week like just with these people. If Devin like wanted to, well, 5K is a good price. But like if he found the strategy to somehow target some corporate high level people that are being destroyed by porn, he can charge 20 to 50k if he like hit the right people at the right time and they wouldn't see it like people from the outside would be like oh that's way too much money for that but the corporate person would be like oh that's like 100 bucks to me that's nothing this is sick I yeah so you just worked with executive ceos doctors exactly yeah it's like by the way he said two months for everybody listening 5k two months quit port coaching you know Devin, you also remind me of my bad takes because i was this close to telling you you know what bro there's not money there you should not do that because you can't <laughs> yeah Totally wrong. You can monetize yeah. anything. Yeah. Dan, thank you for being here. If people wanted more access to you and to your brain, where should they go? I'd just go newsletter. If you're going to be sold on anything, it'll be there. So, <laughs> and I promise to deliver some heavy hitting insights because I don't like hold anything back either. The courses are more like someone asked a question what's the difference between two hour and digital economics? Two hour writers splintered. So, if you get digital economics, it's not labeled as two hour writer in there, but it's in there. Like, it's just not a separate thing. Yeah, just go to the newsletter. 
or my website, whatever it is. Last question on this, because dude, you're like, you take, you, I respect that you're like your own guinea pig. You experiment so many things in yourself, but sometimes I'll take supplements and people are like, are these doing anything? I'm like, eh, not really. Like what are the 80, 20 of the supplements or the things you take that are like, this ones did create a change in me. Barely any, honestly, because well, my diet's good as well. Like I know magnesium's a good one. They're really, I feel like they're very helpful when it comes to like when you're actually in a disease state or you're actually noticing a problem where if you're like a healthy individual, then they're good for like preventative medicine, but you don't need them. But then if you really start noticing raw liver, I'd still take bison liver capsules. But like if you're not experiencing like any downsides and you feel good, but then again, it's hard to know whether you feel like you're operating at your highest, it's worth testing them. But if you don't feel any different, then they're probably not doing anything because you were fine in the first place. Protein powder is like also a good one, but just simply because most people can't hit their protein. Like if you're hitting your protein, you don't need it, obviously. Hey, bro. But we'll sign like Al alpha imbine. I noticed that like, that's a more like niche one for like, if you're in a deep cut and you're trying to like burn fat quicker, I would say L-carnitine at correct doses, like upregulates androgen, androgen receptor density. So like 4,000 milligrams of oral L-carnitine, but then you have to worry about TMAO. We could talk about this all day. I need to start a fitness account. I'd say like one, I was, I would say if I was knowledgeable about anything compared to like business philosophy, fitness would be higher than all of the above. Thank you for the wisdom there. This is great. Yeah. I'm in. Well, thank you for the time. Go crush your workout. Guys, thank you for hopping in and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks guys. Thanks, Jake. Bye-bye.